is Umsteigermöglichkeiten. The Berlin Dating Shit Show. Struggle. Oh, we're not bitter. It's fine. <laughs> We're your hosts, Anna Marie, a queer journalist and feminist activist from California. And Marta, a queer Londoner studying and working in Berlin. Let's get on with the show. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about sexual health. And this includes topics such as sexual assault and harassment and general people's experiences with sexual health care. And we will also be swearing. So enjoy. Hi, Marta. Hi, Anna Marie. Have you been tested for any STIs, STDs? What do we want to call them? I think the accepted term is STI, which is sexually transmitted infection, because STD, sexually transmitted disease, kind of has a stigma. If you say the word disease, it sounds like, ugh, a disease. Whereas if you just say infection, it's a little less stigmatizing because it's like an infection that is passed from person to person sexually, which is true. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I legitimately did not know this. I'm very glad... I asked and I was actually just going to ask as like a off the recording, (laughs) but it's a part of this now. (laughs) Okay, good to know. So yeah, what's your experience been like getting tested in Berlin for STIs? For STIs. So I used to get tested in London really regularly because in London, it's really easy. You just go to the dropping clinic and they test you for, I guess, the most common STIs like herpes, gonorrhea, chlamydia. HIV. However, despite my regular testing, I was historically bad at using condoms. So then what I did was I came to Berlin and I had unprotected sex with someone and then I went back to the UK and got tested because I was like, it'll be fine because it's always fine because I'm like invincible because, you know, I'm 21 years old and uh, I'm not invincible and it came back positive and then I had to go and get tested again in Berlin and then I got treated and then the second time that I got tested I got tested at my gynecologist which I had to pay for the first test that I had was free and then the second one I had to pay I think 75 euros I paid at my gynecologist to have tests done and it didn't even include a blood test so I they didn't include an HIV test Jesus Christ yeah do you want to say what you got what you get Marta well I had um when I got tested in London I had chlamydia and the reason I had to get retested is because I did a home test in the UK, which they offer on the NHS, which is a good thing, but it registered um, a false positive for HIV. So I had to get retested in Berlin for HIV because these home tests have a really high incidence of false positives if you have any other antibodies in your blood or like if the sample gets contaminated somehow. Luckily that then came back negative when I came to Berlin, but yeah. Were you freaked out with the false positive for HIV? Like when I got the phone call, I was really freaked out. But then when I actually went to the clinic in Berlin, they were so nice about it and they were very reassuring actually. And they said, you know, if it comes back positive, we have a lot of options for you. And Berlin is a really, they have a lot of HIV research here because of the kind of queer community and I think the first person ever to be cured of HIV is, they call him the Berlin patient because he was in Berlin. He actually recently passed away of cancer, which is quite sad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been rewatching Grey's Anatomy because it's all on Amazon Prime, uh, which is not an endorsement of Amazon. No, fuck Amazon. Fuck Amazon. But obviously rewatching this show, a lot of it is really dated. And there was an episode that I watched recently where a woman is HIV positive and is pregnant and she... And she wants to abort the baby. And then they're trying to explain to her, like, no, you can have a perfectly healthy baby who's HIV negative 
despite the fact that you have HIV. And it really put into perspective how the expectations around HIV, the stigma around HIV has really changed. It's not like it was in the 70s and 80s. And hearkening back to our episode with Marcos, where he really reminded us that it has not been a long time that gay men have been safe Mm -hmm. to be open about their sexuality, to hold hands in the street, to kiss each other. And secondly, you know, not terrified of dying when they have sex with someone else. How have you found sexual health testing and the general situation in Berlin when you've been dating? I have also been generally been going to my OBGYN and she's been really good with it. What I thought was shocking when I first came here was that in the States, anyone of any gender can go to Planned Parenthood and you can get tested for free. And when you say, I want to get tested, you don't have to specify what you're getting tested for. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, So you just go in and they just give you a full panel of everything. And when I came here and they asked me, what do you want to get tested for? I was just dumbfounded. I was like, wait, fuck, what do you mean? I don't know. Uh, you know, the big one, the, the, the G one, the C one, um, the HIV, obviously. Like, I don't know. Like, what fucking research am I supposed to come in with that I have to know this information? And I've definitely heard horror stories from friends who basically had to lie and say that they were having sex with men who were having sex with other men in order to get tested. As we learn in this interview with the awesome Anna, who is a sex educator, and she's done phenomenal work in charting where you can get tested in Berlin, what to expect, accessibility, all this stuff. We learned a lot because we wanted to talk about and actually provide some information that's useful to listeners because I'm constantly hearing from everyone. None of us know what the fuck to do when we want to get tested. And one thing that I found particularly frustrating in my sexual encounters in Germany because I'm always open obviously if I have sex with someone the first thing I'm gonna say is you know relationship status when was the last time I got tested which I think is by the way really important to say when you first sleep with someone and then I always tell the person I have HPV and I would say 80% of the time in Berlin the other person is like what's HPV and I am a big proponent of having that talk before sex but I will say when you have to stop and you have to explain what the human papillomavirus is and how it's a common cold of STDs and everyone has it and because in the states everyone has it but here it's definitely lesser known to people in Berlin anyway just to say it's interesting here there's other STIs do you know of any in Berlin that are kind of a thing I hear gonorrhea is the the fashionable one to have in Berlin these days. So hot right now. Yeah, everybody has gonorrhea. (laughs) Obviously, probably a bunch of people have chlamydia. Chlamydia has no symptoms. This is why it pisses me off so much. Like, chlamydia, for most people, doesn't present with symptoms. I had no idea. Literally, when I got tested in the UK, the person I was sleeping with was like, lol, what if you give me an STI? And I was like, haha, lol, I'm going to go get tested to prove that I don't have one. And then when it got tested, it was like, boom, you have chlamydia. And I was like, ah, fuck. (laughs) Like, I had no idea. I remember hearing, too, when I first got here, that syphilis is a very common STI to get in Berlin. And that floored me because I was like, syphilis? Isn't that the thing where, like, you lose a nose, you can go blind? Like, I hadn't heard of this happening in modern life at all. (laughs) So, yeah, that's also a common one besides the usual common ones. I mean, just to say that 
We should not get penalized for being sexual humans. Healthcare should be free, and that includes sexual healthcare. Obviously, we need education. This is something we definitely plan to address in another episode. Sex education is critical. And people need to be able to have as much sex as they want, consensually, safely, Mm -hmm. and be healthy doing so. We're very lucky to be able to talk to Anna. Uh, Her Instagram, if you want to check her out, at Anna Wim, A-N-N-A-W, the number one, and then M. She's a queer sex educator, a visual artist. She has a zine. She does all these absolutely amazing things. And as Anna-Marie said, she's made it her mission to provide information for where you can get tested in Berlin and what her experiences were getting tested. And we asked her a bunch of different questions about sex education and sexual health and experience. And it was awesome. So... Let's listen. So, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. You just did your MA in gender studies. like last week. And your thesis was about sexual health testing in Mm -hmm. Berlin. And what was your background in thinking about that topic? And how did you come to write a thesis about that question? Mm -hmm. So, basically, my first kind of interest into this whole topic was when I myself got first tested for SDIs when I was living in Denmark. And yeah, I was like completely clueless about SDIs, about how, you know, you get tested and stuff. I was like already kind of like dipping into some sort of like sex education. And then I went to get tested and in Copenhagen you have this like one free clinic. And I met so many people I knew there, including the person that I was like, there you know to like it was their fault kind of you know like they sent me there and it was really awkward and like we had to like chat in the waiting room and everyone was listening and it was just like oh my god (laughs) this is so embarrassing Mm -hmm. and also because I didn't have an appointment and I only did like walk in I waited for seven hours until the doctors like actually invited me to get tested So after this experience, I was like, okay, this is really fucked up. What's the state of SDI testing kind of everywhere? And I was studying a course called communication design, and we were supposed to do like a project on social change. So I focused my project on like how to ensure anonymity in SDI testing. And that was four years ago. I've always been kind of like fascinated by like, medical stuff healthcare but how I got to writing a a whole like master's thesis about it was I wanted to do something that I could like test on my own skin so I decided Mm. to get tested myself at various places in Berlin like various SDI clinics and just like record my experience and use this for later which i'm working on now for later creating a resource for people to like have more knowledge about sexual health care centers in berlin and yeah how just the whole like sdi testing process works because i think it's still like covered in so much stigma and misinformation and stuff like that so yeah Mm -hmm. so what what is the process like can you take us through it a bit or I mean I don't know how much you want to tell about your thesis yeah so 
basically I started just by kind of creating a table with all the places where you can get STI tested in Berlin, which I'm planning to release soon on like my social media channel so that people can see where they can get tested. I also made like a Google map with like information about it and I just kind of journaled all the options that you have like what can you get tested for where if they require insurance if they have like a specific target group like some places in Berlin are specifically just for like men who have sex with men right mm -hmm. uh, which was also like a big focus on my thesis because I was trying to figure out or find out if there is a place specifically for women or like anyone who identifies somewhere on the feminine spectrum which unfortunately isn't seriously yeah yeah there's like places that are kind of like gender neutral but if you compare it to maybe like three men who have sex with men places that are here there's none that would be just for women or femme people hmm but yeah, so I like created this table with all the info that's going to be released very soon for everyone to use. That was also like a big aspect of my work that I wanted to later use it for sharing with other people. I didn't want to just write a, a paper that's going to be read by like four people, four academic people, and then mm -hmm. it's like not used for anything. Yeah. Once I had all this info, I decided to choose which places I wanted to visit. And every other month, I will go get tested for STIs. A big factor was also that I'm extremely terrified of blood tests. So I was thinking about this research as like a way of challenging myself and just getting over this big fear which actually happened wow at least something came out of it <laughs> and then once I was done with this research with these like personal visits I also interviewed some like other femme identifying people who got tested in the past year to just like compare my experience to them how many places did you go to in the end and how many tests did you end up getting so I was doing this research over the time of a year. Mm -hmm. And if I remember correctly, I managed to get tested at six places. Okay. I wanted to do the, the research for a bit longer, but with the pandemic, it was more and more difficult to get right. actual appointments. And I also just didn't want to like exhaust the system. I didn't want to like get a test every three weeks or something. I also tried to order like this online delivered at home system, which was just starting and it was actually quite a train wreck because like they did not have it figured out at all and I never really got to actually receiving the package. Oh, great. Yeah. Because <laughs> I nearly paid for one of those, so I'm glad that... <laughs> Yeah, I didn't waste any kind of time or money on it. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty expensive, actually. I think the one that I ordered was like 69 euros. Also, like, good price. I see <laughs> what you did there. Wow. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, okay. Overall, 
like what was your experience like then personally I mean it was pretty ambivalent I'd say some places were really good some were kind of mm, I don't know if I focus on more like the specifics of the testing it would usually take around like two weeks one to two weeks to get results usually I would only meet male doctors which I think is also a problem because Hmm. it should be more diverse it would usually be just white doctors Hmm. if there were some like femme identifying people they would be like nurses or secretaries which I was also focusing on like if you're a femme person trying to find or trying to receive sexual health care do you actually feel comfortable with like in like only male environment and and stuff like that yeah so that was pretty disappointing this like lack of diversity in terms of gender in terms of race Mm -hmm. Uh, what I was also focusing on was physical accessibility and generally just like catering to people with disabilities so I was checking out first I would like check out the places website and most spaces were just not accessible even in terms of just like trying to get there with some like mobility disabilities like usually up the stairs very small narrow lift and stuff like that so that was really disappointing to me I had some really weird experiences for example one doctor was like kind of inappropriate when I was getting my my treatment for gonorrhea he was like caressing my cheek and offered to hug me what oh my god Mm -hmm. yeah so I later brought it up with this base and actually managed to meet the director I think people who like follow me on Instagram will know which space it was I, I maybe I'm not gonna say it here okay. um mm-hmm. it's one of the the very popular ones in berlin that's all i'm gonna say but luckily like the director of the space was very you know like owning up to it and explain which steps they took with the doctor and stuff and was like really appreciating me for like coming forward with it well good for you still because yeah, you, well you probably spoke up for a lot of other people who wouldn't have felt that comfortable doing so. so. It also made me wonder because all of us, I think, are always like under such pressure and feel this like fear and just discomfort when we're in like medical settings. Yeah. Like how many other instances, specifically with this doctor or, you know, anywhere, mm-hmm. how many other instances of this were there and how many other people kind of like not even realize that they had the chance to actually speak up Mm -hmm. that it's like not a normal behavior that you have to tolerate because it's someone that's giving you healthcare. So I think the main thing is that there are so few places where you can get tested without symptoms and without having an insurance. Mm -hmm. Checkpoint Berlin is the only one that's kind of like, even though they kind of advertise that they're like, more focusing on mask people they still like take people of all genders 
Mm-hmm. Like you have to pay yourself. I think it's up to 25 euros, mm-hmm. but they don't have any requirements in terms of like you having to be a sex worker or using drugs or stuff like that. You can mm-hmm. just go there without any symptoms. Then the other places where you can do that are specifically just for mask people, which is like manometer and There's also like a few places that are specifically for sex workers, mm. which I think if you if you are desperate, you don't have an insurance and you have some symptoms, I think you can totally go there. But if it's just for like a regular checkup, I would personally recommend not to like take up space for specifically sex workers who like really need this care yeah they're specifically focusing on like street sex workers so okay. it's always better not to like you know exhaust the system when there's someone else who needs it mm-hmm. but basically the rest of the places where you can get tested without symptoms are all insurance based right and i mean after three years of not having any insurance here i'm now lucky enough to like have a state insurance that I actually pay for myself so you know then it's like yeah I'm actually already like prepaying all these tests myself at least you've got a lot (laughs) yeah 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 so then at these places you don't have to have any symptoms you don't have to pay anything extra but you have to have insurance and without it at some places you cannot even get an appointment Mm. Uh, they accept both state and private insurance and some places offer uh, like options where you you can pay for like the whole set of tests but it's really expensive and yeah I think you might not might not be given such priority as people who have insurance Mm-hmm. and as you said like people are always asking and I get so many messages all the time being like oh can you recommend me where to go yeah how do you actually get treated if you don't have insurance how much will that cost yeah and given that when I went to the gyno and asked for like the preventive checkup for for STIs I think she said it would be like 80 euros I don't even want to imagine how much the treatment would be. Wow. And that's just really, really fucked up because a lot of research shows that like with SDIs, it's really important to focus on preventive care instead Mm -hmm. of just like solution-based care. And that it's so important to get tested regularly to not just leave it until you have some some symptoms but also mm-hmm. so many STIs don't show any symptoms when I had gonorrhea I didn't have a single symptom mm-hmm. I wouldn't have known about it if I didn't just get preventive testing mm-hmm. so it's really fucked up that the system is not accessible I yeah. just want to challenge this in my work and to just draw attention to the fact that this is a really important part of healthcare. I mean, all healthcare should be free and accessible. Mm. But sexual healthcare is not something that only people who are like promiscuous or sex workers or whatever need. This is like really important for everyone. Mm -hmm. And since SDIs can have a very 
big impact on fertility of people it's like a very very important issue for like the whole well-being of our society definitely definitely yeah super important thank you for (laughs) for doing this work (laughs) i I was like you're speaking a truth yeah (laughs) a universal truth and i can i just completely agree with you yeah speaking of like accessibility what did you notice that any of these centers catered to different languages or, or stuff like that? Or were they mainly German and probably some English? Yeah, most of them are German English. I think that's very common in Berlin that a lot of people just like speak some sort of okay English. Because mm-hmm. I don't speak German myself. So I didn't have any issues with getting the treatment, getting tested, like any language barrier. Yeah. There were also some places that like offered care in Spanish or in Vietnamese, in Russian. It really depends on the space. And that's also in the table that I compiled and will be publishing. All the languages that are offered where also often many, they have like tablets and they give them to you when you come for your appointment and then you fill out your like sexual history and they kind of evaluate your risk. I think it's also better because you don't have to like say this to a person because mm-hmm. yeah, there's so much stigma. And these apps are usually in several languages. Were you able to get a sense of what the most common STDs are in Berlin? Because when I moved here, I didn't realized that no one knew about HPV, a thing that in the States I never had explained to someone, right? Mm. It was like, everyone has HPV, everyone knows about it. And then, yeah, I found out that here it's not so common, but do you know like, if there are other STDs that everyone in Berlin knows about or that are more common than other places? So I think actually when I got gonorrhea from what I gathered, because I think like the doctors can really see that I'm so excited and interested in the topic. So they usually like share some info with me. Mm-hmm. And apparently there was like a big outbreak of gonorrhea just this winter. Oh, Yeah, I think gonorrhea, that's also like a global thing because gonorrhea has been kind of mutating and it's been difficult to treat with this like antibiotics that we have now there's like a talk of super gonorrhea Mm -hmm. that just doesn't like respond to any of the antibiotics but apparently and i heard that from two doctors apparently there's a new treatment being tested right now that's supposed to be released this winter like around christmas which is supposed to be better at tackling this like mutation of gonorrhea Merry Christmas. (laughs) Yeah, I think with like the Berlin queer scene, of course, HIV is common as well. But Mm -hmm. more and more spaces offer PrEP, which is basically medication that you take every day to prevent getting HIV. And I think that's the same to your experience. HPV, I mean, that's the most common STI pretty much everywhere or at least that's what's being said about it but Mm -hmm. it's so rarely discussed Mm. and no one really tests for it Mm. because I think that tests are actually really expensive and since it's so common and it can actually disappear on its own people don't really 
focus on it that much Mm-hmm. And I think that you definitely have a point that like people don't really know much about it, which is really upsetting because, yeah, it's affecting so many people, mm-hmm. even though it's some screens are not really like that dangerous. The ones that give you like genital warts, mm-hmm. which I also had myself, they're like not really dangerous to your body but then you have strains that actually cause cervical cancer mm-hmm. and what also many people don't know and what i found out only by also getting the strain of hbv that can trigger cancer is that even if you're vaccinated against cervical cancer you can still get different strains of hpv the vaccination doesn't cover all of the cancer causing strains exactly and what i find pretty problematic and just upsetting is that tests for hpv or like a genital exam are not included in sexual health care that that is something that you do at your gyno if you have mm-hmm. a cervix right but it's not offered by the sexual health care centers oh. um which i think kind of leads to like this misunderstanding of it maybe like not being an sdi that also reminds me so the pap smear is not available at these testing centers so what do they test for So usually what they offer is swaps that are done from your vag, anus, and your throat, which Mm -hmm. test for... All different swabs, I hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) The select the order. Yeah. Yeah. So they test for gonorrhea and chlamydia. And sometimes they, I think they can also test for like trike. Many places actually let you do the swaps yourself, which I think is also, again, very cool in, like, you not feeling so invaded by someone Mm -hmm. and just, like, takes away some sort of stigma and also this feeling of having to be really vulnerable with a stranger. Yeah. And they're super easy to do yourself. And then sometimes they also ask you for a urine sample in case the swab doesn't show enough traces of the SDI just to be sure you also get give a bit of urine and that's for the same SDIs as the swab. And then a blood sample that is used for testing for HIV, syphilis, and various kinds of hepatitis. You were talking before about how there are like clinics that are specifically for uh, men who sleep with men, and some of them are for sex workers. Could you expand on that a bit? Like, how does the experience of trying to be tested and of accessing sexual health care, how does that vary like for different groups of people in Berlin? It's just difficult for anyone who doesn't have symptoms who's not a mask identifying to just access any kind of care i went because i also am a sex worker and i went to one clinic that is specifically focusing on sex workers and drug users and the nurse like literally grilled me about what kind of sex work i engage in which was really uncomfortable and I was like is that necessary shouldn't it just be enough for you to say that you know yes 
I engage in this. I remember that this space was really weird actually like it looked like a shed or something and like it was heavily raining that day and it was already dark outside and I was just like where am I what the fuck is going on here classic Berlin yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Care about your health like a shed yeah you know yeah so the issue is that there are certain groups that I mean all of us need preventive sexual health care but certain groups are more vulnerable to contracting an STI and if there are spaces that are specifically designed for them you know they should be welcoming and they should not feel alienating to them Mm -hmm. there's also the issue of none of the clinics really actively approaching accessibility for Mm -hmm. people with like physical disabilities or like visual impairments that's never really given any thought anywhere and that's I think that's like a huge gap there yeah because there is a really good essay by author friend Odette that just like focuses on this issue of access to sexual health care and the high likeliness and like all the ways in which people with disabilities are um, higher risk of being sexually assaulted and as we all know Mm -hmm. sexual assault can often lead to STIs and I think it's really disappointing that this is not navigated in any way yeah and well I was also thinking on the after I did my research I was thinking about like the app that you have to fill out Mm. this like form that you fill out or the conversation you have with a counselor or with a doctor I realized that there wasn't any specific care put into treating or just being aware of victims of sexual assault that there's never any option in the app maybe like say you know I'm here because I was sexually assaulted and I need to get tested and I think that's there's Mm. this maybe this is coming from this like belief that if you get sexually assaulted, you go to the police and you get the right. rape kit and stuff like that, which, as we all know, is not the case. Yeah. And that process itself is extremely traumatizing, which is yeah. why many people choose not to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think there should be a more informed approach to that from the clinics. Because also I was thinking, would I even feel comfortable disclosing that to the doctors, to the counselors? And I was like, I don't even know if they're trained for that. If I would say, well, like the three main points of my research or like three main outcomes, there needs to be focus on femme identifying people and their needs, focus on physical accessibility and just catering to also maybe not only people with physical disabilities, but mental disabilities as well, like providing ways of getting your appointment online or options Mm -hmm. of transport being arranged for people not to have panic attacks on the way or or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And free just this like mindfulness of sexual assault and just navigating that somehow and including that because I think many people who seek sexual health care actually do it because of that it just occurred to me that i 
I've heard certain things in, in like German, let's say government in general, that are maybe not as trans inclusive as I would have thought. And do you know if the medical system or at least these testing centers are trans inclusive and that people who are trans can go there and be treated for their identity and, and not have to go through extra discrimination? Because I know that's not the case everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I think, again, if you are trans, it's important or like what you would like to do is to just check what the center kind of like advertises on their websites. I think yeah. some like Checkpoint or even Manometer, which I mean, they have the word man in in their name, but they also like cater to trans people. Yeah, if you like see that they specifically say that they they are trans inclusive, there is higher chance that you know your treatment, your experience will be more pleasant. Mm-hmm. I think there definitely should be a space only dedicated to trans people, to non-binary, just gender fluid people. Mm-hmm. Because one thing is discrimination from the medical practitioners, but another mm-hmm. is discrimination from other visitors, other clients of the centers, which can of course happen as well. And mm-hmm. I think there is a great need to like provide more inclusive and safer spaces. Yeah, that's that's very unfortunate. I mean. I- It comes up a lot on the podcast that there are things in Berlin that disappoint us. (laughs) And I think a lot of these things are just, I mean, I always feel a bit naive saying it, but things I thought would be better here. I would have anticipated this place where people come to party and it's supposed to be this, I mean, utopia is too strong of a word, but it's supposed to be like a center for queer justice and queer rights and sexual expression like in all forms yeah and then it's just fucking unbelievable that it's like you can't create an infrastructure that's going to support that for people to be healthy emotionally psychologically but literally just physically like that is so yeah I find that really appalling it's I can't find a better world word because it makes me really angry but I'm like trying trying to play a call for the pod yeah (laughs) yeah now it's really bizarre I think it's like such a paradox that there's so much focus on like the enjoyable part of being sexually active and liberated and whatnot and I don't Mm -hmm. actually want to say like STIs are like the opposite of that because you know, if you get treated, they're actually not such a big deal. Like most SDIs are actually not something that's so hardcore, that's so complicated that you suffer because of it. Right. There is no thought, no space given to this part of being sexually active. That's like completely, you know, yeah. common. It's a huge part that goes hand in hand with you having sex and it's completely normal and out of all places. I would also expect Berlin to be better at this. Yeah. We'll make it better. We'll yes. make it better. I hope so. With your map. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Start yeah. the revolution. Slight change of topic. All right. Although it's related. Your Instagram, mm-hmm. as we just said, is very cool and we really <laughs> like it. You also run a magazine. Yeah. And you also have a page called Dildos and Flowers, which is also very cool. (laughs) But let's focus just for the sake of, you know, brevity on the main Instagram. 
how did that get started? Um, and also, like, how do you use Instagram? Because I saw that you also write for magazines and you make art and that kind of thing. What for you is like the benefit of Instagram as a medium and how do you mm-hmm. use it for your work? Yeah, so how this all started was basically me growing up in a very asexual family. Mm. This all like kind of stigma around sex and just this like, you know, it was all like veiled in this like, oh, what is that? I don't know. No one talks about it. It just made yeah. me really interested in sex as a topic and I've always known I I was a very sexual human being like since very early age and I think me becoming a sex educator or especially like working with sex in like visual ways of like visual art and stuff like that is kind of like a revolt or just me kind of I don't know yeah revolting and provoking specifically my family because I feel like oh you never talked about it so I'm gonna talk about it so much that you are uncomfortable now because I felt uncomfortable with my own libido and like me knowing that it was something very interesting to me and something I was like just really into and knowing I I had all these needs but no one really talked to me about it and I felt really ashamed So I started blogging when I was 16 and gradually moved. First, I was talking about like mental health and then I moved more to sex education. And I think my general approach to, yeah, my like online activism or just like writing about stuff is that I want to write about things I would have liked to read or to know when I was younger that I feel like I didn't have access to. Now I'm just like, yeah, I even though I'm being very personal here, very intimate, and I'm making myself very vulnerable online, like anyone has access to my sexual history and and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I know that it can help so many people and it would have definitely helped me when I was younger in terms of like feeling less confused, feeling less ashamed and just, yeah, feeling more normal. I think I had this like, huge interest in sexuality I knew I was a very sexual person and I was kind of numbing it down for so long that it just exploded in Mm -hmm. in a way of this like huge interest in it and I think still a lot of my visual art is about provocation and I guess that goes to like explain why I use Instagram I think what I enjoy about it is that I can write or like I can publish a written thing that goes even in depth because the character limit is actually pretty okay for like actually tackling an issue properly. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. Uh, It's really been a pleasure to speak to you and to hear about the many wonderful things that you do and how just everything that you know you know so many things (laughs) and you have such a great perspective on them and I think I hope I speak for both of us you've really validated a lot of like the feelings that we had about getting tested in Berlin and and I've learned so much just from this conversation so thank you very much thank you for inviting me and this was super pleasant so I'm really happy
thank you again for listening to this episode of Umsteigemöglichkeiten. If you have any ideas for future episodes, we definitely want to hear from you. Get in touch with us on our Instagram page at umsteigepod. And if you ever have any feedback, we definitely want to know. We want to hear your stories. Keep on getting freaky, y'all. But don't forget to get tested. That's not music. <laughs> I'm definitely gonna use that. <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs>